Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Daily Podcast is proud to be in partnership with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Whether your business needs cars, vans, or larger commercial vehicles, you can rent from the best lineup in the UK with Enterprise. And with flexible long-term rental, you can get vehicles for as long as you need them, from minutes to months. Whatever the mission, Enterprise's mobility experts can build a bespoke solution to suit your business needs. Visit enterprise.co.uk forward slash business to find out more. Hello, Andy Goldstein here from, of course, the Andy Goldstein TalkSport Daily podcast. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. It's been 100 years since the FA decided to ban women's football. So in this episode, we hear from those within the game that have helped to implement change as the sport looks to reach new heights. This is Football's Forgotten Women, the 1921 ban on women's football. Women's football is becoming increasingly popular in the UK and across the world. The talent, the support... The coverage. With work still to be done as the sport looks to reach new heights, it's worth noting that it's not been easy to get to this point. World War I fundamentally changed the position of women in society. Professor Jean Williams has been studying the history of women's football for years. What happened as a result of World War I is women started to move into munitions factories and other dirty and dangerous work. And until then, it's kind of like um, Downton Abbey. Until the First World War, most young women lived in um, and they were servants. So that gave them very little privacy and very little leisure outside the home. Once they move into munitions and they're working in factories, they've got a right to paid leisure outside the home and they've got more money than they've ever had before and a bit more freedom. By the end of the war, nearly every factory had a women's team and by 1921, there were 150 women's clubs often playing in front of capacity crowds and raising money for charity with one team in particular, Dick Kerr Ladies, basking in the popularity. That's according to former footballer and author Gail Newsham. When they played it, at Goodison on Boxing Day 1920 and 53,000 people came to watch them. I think the charities re- realised even more than just what a, what a you know, you get the Dick Curl ladies coming to town, you were going to get a big crowd at, at your ground. In 1920, they played 31 games of football, but in 1921, they played 67 games of football. So you could see the, cha- the charities, you know, wanted to get these women to come along and play and um, they they realised that, you know, as I said, Dick Curl ladies are in town, we'll have a good gate. But the 5th of December 1921 would stop the joy, glory and camaraderie brought about by women's football. The FA banned women from playing and using league pitches and facilities. From capacity crowds to a recreational level, the women's game was in turmoil. Here's Dr Gary James. Officially, the reasons were that it was 
a game that's supposedly unsuitable for women, so medically damage a, a woman, right? That women may not be able to have children or whatever. That's those are the, the arguments that were put forward, which you know are ridiculous. And then the other one was about financial problems. Despite this ban being introduced 100 years ago, the outrage and pain at such a decision being made is still felt to this day by Manchester City and England captain Steph Houghton. It makes us angry, it makes us upset that um, women were unable to do something that they loved and they really enjoyed doing and the thought of that happening um, in this century it would be... Uh, a disgrace and I think that's with any job or any sport whether you're male or female to be stopped from doing something it's just that in the world that we live in I think it's important that people are able to do what they love and in that in this case then women were stopped by stopped doing what they really wanted to do um, which is play football. The ban had a devastating effect as teams began to struggle and many were unable to survive. But some stood strong and were unwilling to back down, giving women an opportunity in the sport they enjoyed. One hundred years ago, the FA brutally banned women's football, deeming it unsuitable for women. Clubs were now folding, unable to exist. But there were teams who fought back. If any team could survive, it would be the Dick Kerr ladies. Here's author and former footballer Gail Newsham. A lot of teams did fold, um, and that's what makes the Dick Kerr ladies special, that they didn't. You know, a life of not being able to play on on the top uh, football stadiums anymore. But rugby grounds opened the doors to them. They would play anywhere. You know, any any ground that didn't come under the jurisdiction of the FA. Ladies I spoke to who played after the Second World War, they said to me that it, it was normal to get five thousand at a match, and then we could just be talking at like you know a field somewhere. <laughs> You know, it's just incredible the amount of people that still came to watch them. The Dick Kerr ladies were not alone, as the Manchester Corinthians were another side offering women an opportunity to play football. Dr Gary James can tell us more. Their fame kept on developing and growing and growing. And in 1960, they went on a, went on a tour of South America. That tour was absolutely incredible. Again, they won a tournament out there. They played in front of 60,000 fans at, at one time. So very much carrying on that theme of Dick Kerr's ladies. But they also talk about how at one of the airports before they travelled over, they bumped into Walter Winterbottom, who was an England manager. Basically talked to him and said, you know, we're women's football team. And he was really dismissive, saying, oh, you know, women can't play football. And that shows you that even then, you know, within the 1950s, 60s, and there's still people who have been England managers, people at the top, you know, who still believe that they shouldn't be playing. The Manchester Corinthians would have to deal with inadequate facilities as they continued to play. Here's Professor Jean Williams. All of their players talk about playing on Fog Lane Park in Manchester and there was no hot water in the changing rooms. Most people at this time, don't forget, didn't have an inside toilet, didn't have an inside bathroom, let alone any kind of comforts in uh, sports changing facilities. 
So they talk about having to have a wash in the local duck pond because a lot of them had taken two buses to either train or play. We've got photographs of them from little terraced houses nearby coming out with a bucket of hot water for several of them to wash in at the same time. So, you know, there's an incredible background to these clubs and how determined they were to play. Current Manchester City and England captain Steph Halton is grateful to the ladies of both teams for paving the way for the current generation of players. Now I sit here, captain of Manchester City and been on an unbelievable journey in my career and it is all down to, to them ladies and them being able to do what they wanted to do to raise the money and to raise the profile of our sport and show some unbelievable character to kind of go through them tough times to be able to play. So it's always important that you remember those that were there before you. And I think in this case, that's certainly true. For the ban to finally be overturned, the vision and remarkable work of one lady in particular would be vital, but it wouldn't be easy. These boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. 100 years ago, women across the country were banned by the FA from playing football. In the 1960s, one lady in particular began to wonder why women didn't play the beautiful game. That lady was Patricia Gregory. Well, I wrote to the local paper, having seen Spurs bring the cup back to Tottenham, um, and I thought that the girls, why didn't girls play football? And they published my letter, and then girls wrote to me and assuming that I had got a girls football team, which I didn't, but we, um, we gathered them together in my parents' front room and we decided to form a team. I wrote to the council and they replied to me saying that because of the 1921 ban, of which we were unaware, uh, we, they couldn't hire us any training facilities or a pitch. Now that came as a big shock because we, we just didn't know it, it, it existed. With enthusiasm growing for a women's game, Patricia, alongside others, helped to create the Women's FA in 1969. Arthur and I and three others became the first officers of the association when it was inaugurated on the 1st of November 69. I was very young then, I was a, a under 20, and my fellow officers were all in their middle years. We all had daytime jobs, but we earned our living. And then this was just a hobby um, and it, it became you know, more time consuming. I was living at home with my parents uh, in the early years and I would go to work and come home, have my dinner and then disappear to my room to um, start another job, you could say, whether it was for the club I was running for the league or the association. Finally, in 1971, the ban was overturned, giving women the opportunities they craved. And Patricia is proud of the incredible work that she and others achieved. You are aware that if we hadn't done what we did, how, you know, when would it have um, made that step to get girls the opportunity? All we wanted was for the girls to have the same opportunities that their brothers, etc., had. And so that's why we did it. Yes, absolutely proud. I just hope that the players of today appreciate that what they've got. But more, more to the point, they need to appreciate what those who are still living have, um, have gone through in order to make it 
possible for them. With the ban lasting 50 years, Patricia often ponders where women's football would be now if the ban hadn't been introduced. The Football Association for England, they announced this on Leap Year Day 1972. They recognised the Women's FA as the sole governing body of women's football in this country at the present time. I imagine that will go on my gravestone because I, I clearly remember that wording. And that's very important. So I often think, what if the FA and the other British associations had decided at that point to take control of women's football? And what progress might we have made? I, I think we probably would have made a lot of progress much sooner. So with the 1921 ban finally overturned, women could look to start their own journey in the game and women's football could begin to properly develop. But there was still a long way to go. With the ban lasting 50 years before it was overturned in 1971, the women's game could finally prosper. And Dr Gary James feels Patricia Gregory deserves a huge amount of respect. Enormous credit needs to go to Patricia Gregory and all those that were involved because the FA just, we're not going to change it. The FA, we're not going to change anything. So it was down to pressure from the women involved, the women who played, the women who demonstrated that. Um, you know, the media coverage at the time wasn't really supportive. It was inappropriate, totally wrong. But that's the way society was at this time. So those women had to fight. Despite the overturning of the ban, former Chelsea and Tottenham defender Eartha Pond recalls the difficulties she faced when she started playing. Well, first we had to pay to play, but then things like kit, time of training, like we used to have the last slot on the pitch to like 10pm at night. You had every other age group before under five eight, tens, and then, oh, the women can have it at the end. Um, and then the quality of pitches. I think waterlogged was just part of what we, what we did anyway. And, and, I, and sometimes I compare the, the quality of football that we see now, the football we were seeing back in the day on those rough pitches were just as good. So imagine if they had the opportunity to play on the carpets that they, they have now. Manchester City and England captain Steph Houghton remembers receiving the men's team's hand-me-downs when she had started out in her career. Well, we didn't really have any facilities for starters. We used to turn up in our kit, so you, you take your kit home and generally it was your own kit, um, what you'd bought or your mum and dad had bought you. Old hand-me-downs from the first team men. Um, so pretty much whatever you get your hand on, obviously boots and stuff, you'd probably get one boot one pair of boots for the season and you'd have to make them last. So the difference is as massive. It is ridiculous in terms of how lucky we are now. Significant progress has been made in women's football over the years and former footballer turned author Gail Newsham saw the 2012 Olympics as the turning point. I think London 2012 changed everything for women's football because that was the first time, certainly in this country, that we had a nationwide audience, never mind the global one, and since, since London 2012, we've come on, you know, leaps and leaps and bounds. And, and then we only have to see the coverage that they're getting now. You know, we've got 
it's, it's on nearly every week on the television now. We've got some fantastic pundits, haven't we? Rachel Brown Finnis, what a great lass she is. Casey Stoney as well. I mean, I think she's amazing. Got so much respect for these people. The ban was overturned 50 years ago. However, women's football historian Jean Williams believes its impact is still felt today. I was a panel for one of the big football governing bodies. They were asking about the commercial value of women's football. And um, some of the language that was being used was that, you know, women's football is in its infancy, it's in its adolescence, it's in its, it, it, it's a maturing market. And all of those are really ways of infantilising women's football. Uh, women's football has been around for about 150 years. We need to lose this idea of kind of endlessly comparing it with men's football. Women's football has significantly developed in recent years and progress has been made. But what about the future of the game and the next generation? There is still plenty of work to be done. Women's football has grown hugely in the 100 years since the ban and the sport now looks to go from strength to strength. The focus is on developing the next generation. Former Spurs and Chelsea defender Eartha Pond feels increasing involvement in schools will be a big help. Having that ability to play team sports or, or to coach or to referee and showing that actually there's so many different niches within football. Sometimes we just focus on the playing but the coaching, the refereeing around those ball tables that's where we, what we need to inspire our next generation to want to be part of those conversations, want to be engaging in all of those. So how much can we embed ourselves into schools where that's where the young people are? With the Women's Euros being held in England next summer, Lionesses captain Steph Houghton is excited to showcase women's football on an international stage. I think for me this tournament's going to be unbelievable I think there's been so much hard work behind the scenes stadiums that we're going to be playing at the amount of tickets that I've heard have been sold already it's it's scary and I think that just shows what an important position we are in from a lioness's point of view I think we have the following and we have the belief that we could do something special but ultimately women's football is such so popular in this country and everybody knows about the profile of certain players so for us as players it's just about making sure that we try to ignore the noise a little bit and just concentrate on performances and hopefully that dream will come true. Former footballer and author Gail Newsham feels that should the Lionesses win silverware next year women's football in the UK will be taken to a whole new level. The more we get the exposure then I think we'll go on leaps and bounds and I think as well when we win something when we win the big trophy that will change things again. We're a nation of loving successful sport aren't we you know that feeling in London 2012 and that, the whole nation was lifted and when England won the World Cup I mean I remember that you know when, when we won in 66 when you've got a winning team the whole nation comes together and I think you know that will elevate women's football again because I don't think it's if we win I think it's when we win. Women's football will continue to develop and grow but according to founding member of the Women's FA Patricia Gregory allowing young girls an equal opportunity to play was and still remains the key goal. We laid the roots the foundations for a sound national side and I still maintain and I've said this several times I still maintain that the women probably will be the first to win a major international tournament than, than the men. I just want the, everybody, every girl who wants to play football not to have any problems 
just so that women can have the equal opportunity. That's all we wanted. Women's football in the UK has faced incredible challenges. It has suffered and has had to endure enormous difficulties, but most importantly, the women did not give up. They fought for what was right and they wouldn't be silenced. The game has grown and developed as it looks to reach new heights, but women's football is no longer surviving. It is thriving and there is still so much more to come. Join me tomorrow as we look back on a monumental weekend packed, of course, with sport. Thanks for listening and don't forget, be safe everyone. Be safe. The TalkSport Daily Podcast is proud to be in partnership with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Whatever your mission, home or away, don't delay. Enterprise has the vehicle for the job. Rent from the best lineup in the UK. With over 450 branches, Enterprise has what your business needs. From compact three-door cars to spacious SUVs and people carriers to vans, they offer a large range of reliable vehicles perfect for the job. To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.